Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another exciting episode. Oh my gosh, is this exciting episode of FNO InsureTech. I am one of your hosts, Rob Beller, and your other voice, who you usually hear, Lee Boyd, is not here today. He had to go to a conference and be a grown-up and work, which um, fortunately the rest of us don't have to do. But I'm here today, joined with our intrepid producers, Alicia Moss. Say hi, Alicia. Hello. And Aldrin Muya, also known as Al. Say hi, Al. Hey, everybody. Alicia, tell our audience what you do here at FNO InsureTech. So I communicate with all of our guests and kind of handle the logistics and any kind of research to give our host uh, just some information on them. Uh, and then just kind of cruise along and, and follow along until the end and, and keep our whoever our guest is up to date with when their episode goes live. That's 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 cool. That's a very important that's job. We call her our content producer because she handles the content. Now, Al, Al Moya, Al, how long have you been with us? When we first heard the babies cry, it was uh, almost year one of this podcast. Okay, so like four years. Yes, that's a long time, Al. Oh yeah, long time coming, and uh, every every episode is definitely a ride. So what is your job here at FNO and TrueTech, Al? I support the technical aspect of the podcast. I guess my official label is technical producer, but uh, I do help with assisting and recording of the podcast, editing and publication, and then any other support that uh, I can help with, with uh, Alicia and uh, the rest of the team. The number one reason that you don't hear me saying, uh, um, uh, 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 um, is because of Al Moya. He goes in and he deletes them. He blips them out. And do I say uh and um very much, Al? Yes. <laughs> you had to think about whether to give an answer to that, didn't you? Yeah, but but the thing is, like, you know, when I when I edit it, you know, I tried I tried to make it as conversational as possible. And, you know, I, I'm all about enhancing the conversation. And I mean, you and Lee do an amazing, great job. So my work is minimal at best. Oh my gosh, yes. We do a great job especially Lee. I'm along for the ride. But because Lee's not here today, I wanted you guys to meet the the people that really, if it wasn't for them, this podcast literally would not exist. They they wrangle the people, they bother the guests, they, they bring them along, and then they treat them beautifully uh, all the way up until we publish an episode. And we've done it 220 sometimes. So that's a lot of episodes. And we have another one today that you're going to be really excited about. It's a, a two-timer, but it's a really interesting story. We have Cole Winans here with us. Cole is the Vice President and General Manager of Property Solutions at LexisNexis. Now, but 
what you really need to know about Cole is that he started a company called Flyreel. And Flyreel is a fascinating company that's uh, that's relatively early to AI and using AI as part of the underwriting process. Um, and then the smart, smart, smart people at LexisNexis said, you know what? We have all this data and all these other capabilities around insurance and underwriting. What we really need is a tool like Flyreel. And so uh, they got together and LexisNexis acquired Flyreel about a year ago. So we're going to hear about LexisNexis property solutions and what's going on there and how Flyreel fits into that and what what Cole is doing today. But we're also going to hear um, about a, a founder's journey um, of, of going from being a founder all the way through building a company, all the way through struggling his way through it, succeeding, selling, and now being part of a large organization. So for all you founders or startup executives out there, this I think will be an interesting episode for you as well. And uh, so here's our episode with Cole Winans, the Vice President and General Manager of Property Solutions at LexisNexis. Hey, everybody, we're here with our special guest, a two-timer. Is that right, Cole? Is this your second time or third time? This is second. Second. Okay. Well, you know, when you come five times, you get a smoking jacket. You get an FNO and SureTech smoking <laughs> jacket. So you're getting there. You're getting yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Close. We have Cole Winan with us, the Vice President and General Manager of Property Solutions at LexisNexis. But that's not the title you had the last time we had you on, right? That's right. What was the title then? So previously, the founder and CEO of Flyreel. Ah, so something happened between <laughs> the last time you were on the podcast and now. And tell us real quickly, right. just level set for us what that was. Yeah, so announced just about a year ago. Uh, it was June 1st of last year. We announced that Flyrail was acquired by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. So the business was acquired and we've now been integrated into their insurance business. That's very cool. And, and we want to talk all about that. And we also want to talk about the experience of being an entrepreneur from kind of day one to where you are today. I'm, I'm sure that that's been a great part of the experience. Is, is that right? Yeah, it's been incredible and a huge learning lesson. I think it's an amazing life experience and it's an amazing professional experience. So a lot to learn from it. Cool. We'll get to that um, second. First, I want to talk about property solutions and ask you to give us a minute on what LexisNexis Property Solutions is and, and what your job is there and how you fit in. Yeah. Well, I think most people know LexisNexis. And uh, to summarize, we're a very large analytics provider. Um, and a large portion of our business is focused on insurance. And that splits down a few different verticals. One of those is home and property, which is where I work. And so we have a variety of solutions that we offer 
largely, again, focused on equipping carriers with data to just make the most informed decisions and uh, just to support their day-to-day workflows and overall strategy, uh, supporting the market with various insurance products. So Flyreel was, share with us what Flyreel was or is. Yeah, so Flyreel was a business that I founded a while ago. And what it did and still what it does is it's an AI-assisted inspection solution. So we built a mobile application that actually guides homeowners through their own home inspections. And it does that using computer vision technology. So for example, it'll say, Rob, let's go into your kitchen and pan across the kitchen from left to right. And you just kind of wave the phone across the property, scan the exterior, the interior, and the computer vision does the heavy lifting. And if there are risks, hazards, condition issues, and more, that gets automatically identified so that an underwriter doesn't have to go look through all these photos, watch all these videos to make informed decisions around how to cover you uh, and just whether or not. Uh, to cover you. Right. Underwriting decisions. And and so the application flags things. It's like, hey, you look at this, <laughs> right? Yep. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if there's a risk, you know, say a recalled circuit breaker on your electrical panel, we can automatically identify that. And when that report goes into that underwriter right at the top of the report, and with a big red box around it, it's going to say recalled circuit breaker. So now, you know, we expedite the underwriting process, but also help the insurance providers deliver greater value to the mm-hmm. end consumer, which is you by giving you adequate coverage, but also informing you of opportunities to reduce your risk. Right. Hey, you have a dangerous, potentially dangerous situation here or, or risk, uh, you may, you're going to need to take care of it. Right. Exactly. And so it's interesting that you bring up AI because we never hear about that anymore. Do we? Um, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> I mean, that, that's all we hear about. I was just reading today that somebody writing about the AI bubble in the stock market that because of the froth in the stock market over AI um, and different providers and people who have uh important part of it. So, but you've been involved in AI for a long time. Tell us how AI, well, let me ask you this. The more that, the more your app is used, the smarter it gets. Is that correct? That's true. Mm -hmm. So increasing its usage is really a good thing for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, what's important when you're developing uh, machine learning or going down a path of deep learning in general is just having a good feedback loop. So data to train on to make your system more intelligent the next time it encounters that situation again. And you're exactly right. We have those feedback loops built into our system where, you know, over the past few years, we've scanned quite a few homes. And in doing so, you begin to develop advantages where, you know, we've seen these attributes more than anyone else, which means we can accurately identify them when we do see them better than anyone else. 
So as the system gets used more and more, you start to develop some real advantages uh, by your system becoming more and more intelligent. So you guys, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if it's fair to say you're a pioneer in AI, but you've been around it for a long time. What kind of comments do you have about, you know, about AI technology today and, 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 and what's going on and all the hype and whatnot around it? Does that mean we'll, we'll, we'll shift gears just for a second? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is in my, I mean, I'm maybe a little bit biased, but I think it's the most fun area to be operating in period. There's never been a more exciting time to be in this space. I'm grateful we were able to start even before it was cool. Uh, in fact, you know, when we first went to market, there was a lot of concern about whether AI would ever be used in the insurance market and a lot of doubt around its legitimacy. It's nice to see the market coming around to that. But like you said, there's a lot of buzz around it right now. And I think justifiably so. When we look at you know, generative AI, large language models in the state of the world today, I do think we've never been in a situation where technology has been so far ahead of the market um, in its capability. I think there's so much untapped value that's sitting there that we just haven't realized yet because we haven't had the time to take advantage of it. This has all happened over a very compressed period of time. So the market has not caught up to technology. It is so far ahead. Um, and we're capable of doing incredible things that we're not doing yet just because we haven't had the time. It's amazing. In the particular market that you work in, the insurance industry, I mean, we've seen just in doing our podcast, we've seen a sea change of acceptance in the past few years and interest. But I mean, if you go back five years ago, there was resistance and, um, I mean, interest, but maybe a kind of a dubious interest. Mm -hmm. Are you experiencing a change there on the part of your customers and potential customers? Yeah, absolutely. I think <clears throat> for Flyrail specifically, we had a double-edged sword where we were promoting and encouraging a paradigm shift in terms of involving the consumer, the homeowner in the process, asking them to do something, which was one edge, right? And so insurance providers, carriers would look at that and they were reluctant to ask homeowners to do anything. Then stacking on top of that was, hey, and we've got this AI that's going to detect all the stuff you care about. And so we had kind of double the Dow. <laughs> but you're right. I think the, the market has come around. But why? I think really it's because the results speak for themselves. It works. It identifies these things. And, you know, it takes time to prove that out in this market. But I'm excited because I really do believe that now that the market and the carriers themselves have seen the results, you're seeing most, um, the vast majority for sure, of carriers are adopting AI strategies and also self-inspection strategies. So it's, it's an exciting time. So are you, are you finding acceptance of your product, not just in like, say more cutting edge or insure tech carriers, but across the board, even in legacy older carriers that have been traditionally slow mm -hmm. to accept? Yeah, 100%. I think 
that's, you, you know, there's the technology adoption life cycle, right? And so you've got this curve and you've got your early adopters in that first segment all the way to your laggards. And I think mm-hmm. that we're approaching, you know, I would never call anyone in this market a laggard, but I would say if there were any in that category, they've started to now adopt this, but the market is pressuring them to as well. If we take a step back and we just look at the state of the market, you have a lot of groups decreasing or cutting new business activity. There are record level uh, underwriting losses and you have replacement costs skyrocketing, cost of labor going way up. And so there's this deep focus on profitability and the need to actually start looking at renewals. And so traditionally, most carriers have not looked at renewals. They just do it, right? Maybe a survey, maybe a phone call. But now they really need to scrutinize the risk on their books at a more granular level. Well, how do you do that at scale when labor rates are going up? The labor market is constricted. That's a job for computers. So I think everyone's really come around now, which is great. And so... The question is focusing less on is self-inspection a viable uh, offering going forward? And it's more, how do we get this into our workflow in a way that works best for us? Right, right. And that's and that's tough because, like I say, in the work that we do at Alacrity, anytime you say to a carrier, we're just going to change your workflow a little. Mm -hmm. The the conversation (laughs) is over, right? That's that's not a winning formula. No. Uh, the winning formula no. is, and we're not going to touch your workflow at all. And uh, yeah. because of course it's super consequential. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so, but, but you're right. I just read over the weekend that all state is going to um, not be writing new policies in California. I, li- I live in California. And uh, they're not going to be writing new policies here. This is on the heels of State Farm saying the same thing. And of course, we have an enormous wildfire risk here, but also just the cost of it. I mean, the the cost Mm -hmm. of of a claim has has skyrocketed for a number of different reasons. And so I would think that that the demand for better underwriting data is increasing as well. Fair yes. to say? Big time. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And is that a place where carriers are kind of turning to? They're saying, how am I going to fix this? Better underwriting has to be part of the answer. Absolutely. It's, you know, and every one of them is getting crunched on their underwriting expenses, right? So um, they do need better underwriting data. I think that what we've now been able to prove, a lot of folks were also on the fence early on about the value of interior data. Right. Because they, you know, mostly have just used exterior data um, because those types of inspections, exterior only drive-by inspections, those are Mm -hmm. much more affordable, but roughly half the claims are interior. Right. Right. And then when you look at the largest drivers for, calculating the replacement cost accurately on a property. About 50% of those attributes are inside the home. What are the finishes Mm -hmm. like? Is the basement finished or not? You know, those are really important attributes. So now that we've just had more time 
to bake that data in the market, we've had the opportunity to prove its value. So what you're seeing is that need for more comprehensive data, um, a different viewpoint on how to assess renewals and whether or not to renew. Um, but just an appreciation, I think, also for the value of interior data in addition to exterior. And that's a big market shift, right? Because we had the exciting introduction of Arial and you've got the imagery providers and the market adopted that. Um, but there's still a lot of risk there that's on the inside that you've got to get in and manage. So candidly, the market has made some really big shifts uh, mm-hmm. over the past few years. But I think the hand has been forced by COVID and then post-COVID. Where are we now in this economy? And uh, so it's interesting to see the new behaviors. Is it fair to say that you guys are a little more focused on underwriting than claims? Yes. Tell us about your work. Tell us about property solutions mm-hmm. and, and, and what, what makes it up. It's not just legacy flywheel. It's, it's more than that, right? Oh, definitely. So I think what we saw around the time of the acquisition, part of our strategy, uh, even prior to being acquired, was that we were going to continue to expand our solution to be more end-to-end. What we we didn't want to be is a self-inspection app. And I think that you know you have to recognize that when you're driving innovation, there are periods of time where uh, you have to accept you'll be misunderstood. And I think people misunderstood us as an app for a while, but then realized as the AI began labeling things for the underwriters, that this was actually more than an app. It was a real solution. But when you look at the day-to-day activities of an underwriter, they really do three things, or they need to do three things very effectively to drive good outcomes for the business. You have to select the right places to go and look. You need to get comprehensive data and capture it on those properties. And then you need to make good decisions and act on that data. So, you know, how do you help your customers choose the right properties to inspect? How do you help them get the data that they need? And then how do you help them make really good decisions in a super efficient way? And that's a bit of what we were seeing as the opportunity with the combined assets of Flyreel and LexisNexis because LexisNexis previously uh, and to this day has the ability through its data assets to help carriers know which properties they should inspect. And that's informed by a variety of things, whether it's property attributes, historical claims data, and more. So Mm -hmm. now if you take this concept of self-inspection and to the power of these data analytics assets, you amplify its value considerably. So that's what we've done is we've kind of woven the solution in to those data assets. So now you have total property understanding, which is that combined solution. Yeah. Wow. That, that, that seems um, incredibly potent. In fact, when you announced your acquisition, my first response was really Lexus Nexus. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't think of them, even though they're at like every conference we go to and, 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 and they have a presence and, and they're well known in the business. I didn't think about the, 
you and them together. But of course, it was kind of natural, right? Yeah, I mean, the more I've become more and more aware and knowledgeable of all the assets that this business has, the more I look back at that integration and the acquisition as a whole as such a great win. Um, Mm -hmm. For the market, I think just the things we're able to do are really exciting. But, you know, I think, again, that makes perfect sense. But hopefully it makes sense now that you can see, wow, you know, you've got all this data to choose and select the right things to inspect. AI that actually will go out and get you the data. And then not only that, it'll look at the data for you and drive the outcome on a, in an automated way. I mean, it's a pretty cool end-to-end picture. It's not only fun to build and be a part of, but it works and delivers real value. And what's what's the feedback that you're getting from your customers about the, the product, about the end-to-end idea? Oh, yeah. I think it's been welcomed uh, with open arms. You know, we really take a lot of pride in being very close with all of our customers. It's even woven into the organizational structure of the business pre-acquisition and remains that way post-acquisition, where we have a customer success team and a product team that work closely together to get voice of customer. One of the areas of feedback that we got, you know, we'd hear, hey, you, know, you guys get the interior and the exterior. Could you partner with someone and get the roof as well? And Lexus has a rooftop solution. So now we have top down, inside and out. But then, you know, we noticed, you know, carriers had different methods for choosing when and if to inspect. And very few of them had sophisticated models. Some had you know, decision matrix solutions in an Excel sheet, right? It Uh, varied, but it wasn't fueled by comprehensive data, historical losses and more. So how do you help your customer select when to use this product? So, Mm -hmm. you know, we wove together the VOC and I think as a result, answering your question, the customers are excited. It's easier for them to use. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have to think as much in terms of operationalizing mm-hmm. this. We'll handle everything from when to inspect through to live in-app support that nurtures the homeowner through a self-inspection. Mm-hmm. Through to you know integrating into your underwriting workbench of choice, whether it's a CoreLogic um, or other solution uh, to drive that underwriting action. So it's, it's pretty turnkey. Are you integrated with Verisk? We don't have an integration with Verisk right now. No. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the rooftop thing. That was a surprise to me. I didn't know that. Do you guys, I mean, so you have an aerial imagery component. Where did that come from? Yeah. So there's a public announcement where we did um, a partnership with Arturo on this. And what's really interesting is our rooftop solution is different than the other ones in market where there are really two options. You can use geospatial data alone, or you can have the full imagery with the attributes as well. And that's, you know, that speaks to really the market opportunity as a whole. There's a time and a place for imagery. um, And it's not all the time. And so you can get tremendous lift without it, 
tremendous lift. And that's one of the things you know, we're eager to help push more data into the market to really support this. But there is so much performance to squeeze out of the books and just improve overall losses through geospatial data on the rooftop alone. But again, that imagery has a time and a place. So we have basically a dual offering. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And have there been other acquisitions in the space that you work in beyond um, Flyreel? Yeah, more recently, um, we announced an acquisition of a company called Human API, uh, which is more in the life space. So not necessarily in, mm-hmm. in the vertical where I operate. But, you know, I think, again, you get into these opportunities to support the market with really high quality consumer engagement products and solutions coupled with world class data. And when you bridge those two um, offerings together, you create some great opportunities for your customers. And that's why we've made some of these investments. And I would think that LexisNexis is you know, it's a well-known name. It's very well trusted um, in in the insurance industry. I I found when our company was acquired, one of the um, really surprising things was that customers trusted. We were for Alacrity. Customers trusted Alacrity, and so when they added our solution to their suite of services. It was like, sure, come in and talk with us, as opposed to what you had been going through was, <laughs> I'm sorry, we don't talk to hippies or whatever, whatever, kind, of, whatever kind of crazy yeah. response you were getting, right? Yeah, no, it's, but, it's a great point, And we have experienced the benefit of that. I mean, the brand recognition is really incredible. And mm-hmm. um, I think we both are aware that the sales cycles in this market aren't incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And they're particularly slow for a startup. And, you know, when you are one of those large, say, top 10 carrier in particular, are you going to hitch your wagon to a venture-backed startup in a tumultuous environment? And, you know, there's a level of risk there. So you have to go slow and be methodical. And we're fortunate enough to make progress there. But at the same time, I'll tell you, post-acquisition, there's a lot more trust um, uh, out of the gate and just mm-hmm. comfort, uh, between the customer and with the customer that, okay, you know, this isn't a startup that's going to run out of funding and disappear anytime soon. Right. And that, that was the same experience that we had was my, going into it. My fear was, um, that our customers would not be comfortable with, with a larger provider. They, mm. they purposely chose us because of one of the one of the reasons was because of our size but what i found was is it's it's i don't know the right word to use i'm going to say easier for them to trust a large provider that has significant capabilities and a significant span of capabilities than it is like you're saying to trust somebody who does mm-hmm. one thing and um right and and so as far as the entrepreneurial experience Let's talk about that. So sure. give it, give us a minute on Flyreel wasn't the first crazy idea you had. <laughs> right. No. There was, there was a few <laughs> others 
But but yeah. talk just just give us a minute or two on the origin story of Flyreel and how that kind of all came about. But because for the entrepreneurs on the on this listening to this episode, I, I want them to kind of level set with you on that. Yeah, well, I think to summarize, it was not an overnight success. <laughs> it's been a long journey, and my background is as a software engineer, and previously I'd been building applications and solutions for startups, enterprise companies, and more. And I saw a couple clients that uh, were acquired. I was on the outside as a contractor, and it was an incredible outcome that I wasn't really a part of, even though I had uh, you know, the fortunate opportunity to contribute to their product. And so that gave me an itch to go and try and do it myself. And I committed a cardinal sin which is as a software engineer, I viewed the world from the lens of software. And I thought, if I just create great software, I'll create a great business. <laughs> turns out it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. No, definitely not. And not only did I do it once, I did it twice. Okay, oh, so, so, you know, so you're a slow learner on top of which. Well, exactly right. Uh-huh. So I founded the business um, uh, that, that was Flyreel. And prior to us landing where we are today, we were really two other iterations. The very first one is almost embarrassing to talk about now, but it was, you know, we were starting the business when social networks were just becoming a thing. Vine was cool (laughs) and social videos were really popular. And we were working on video technology that if you asked a question, someone could add an answer or a response to it and the responses all got stitched together or, you know, you see this done in Instagram and with stories and those types of things. We were working Mm -hmm. on that a while ago, but it was too early. It was hard for us to get users and, you know, we had thousands, but not millions. So then we looked at that and a lot of people were using our solution to get advice on how to fix things around the house. So huh. we thought, well, maybe we could be Interesting. a new type of Angie's list, right? Someone could say, oh, you know, I broke this. Can someone show me or come out here and fix it? And you could get a quote. And the solution was great. And it worked. People were connecting to professionals. They were getting help. They were getting quotes. The problem was we couldn't compete with the hundreds of millions in TV ad spend. So it wasn't really a viable business. So then finally... You know, we had taken all these videos of homes and had helped people fix their homes. And we thought, what happens if, you know, we could add computer vision to this? What would it do? Because computer vision was becoming a thing. It was becoming really exciting. So we tinkered a bit, created an iteration where you could scan a room and it would list all the details of that room. And it was at that point, we had a couple mentors and investors that actually... Uh, were involved in EagleView um, mm-hmm. when it was acquired sure. uh, by Vista, and they said, "Oh my gosh, you know, insurance carriers would love this." And so, you know, really the the end of that story and the beginning of this one was, I said, "You know, I'm not going to build another app that I love that no one else wants." So we took it out to a conference in Boston, and I walked around and I showed some carriers. And they lit up. 
they said this would be great. Cool. Let's talk about it. And Fun. we created our kind of first pipeline. That's awesome. And you went along. I mean, how long was Flyreel a freestanding company? Yeah. So I legally formed it in 2013, but we really didn't do anything substantive until 2015. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And up until 2021. Yeah. So then, um, you know, we were really cranking 2015. We built those iterations, pivoted, pivoted, and then landed with our insurance solution in 2017. Okay, cool. And when Nexus Lexus came along, did you understand it right away? Did you, you, you were like, or were you more like, why is, what's this company want from me? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I was familiar with them and their offerings and also some of the folks that worked there, mm -hmm. you know, you develop is a small community, right? And you get to know people. You also get to understand the culture of each business. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there were a lot of things that I really admired about the business. I didn't quite know how our solutions would come together at the onset. But then as we began to engage more deeply in conversation, um, the opportunity became more clear. And it was clear that it would be an accelerator for the vision that we had um, and just being able to deliver it to our customers. So one of the big lessons that I learned when we sold our company was what a pleasure it is working for a larger company. I've kind of worked in small businesses all my life and all my career, I should say. My parents were involved in small business. So I had a, certainly, I was very comfortable there. And I thought that I would, that I wouldn't have the same comfort working in a large organization. But what I indeed found was it's really nice being in a place where we do a lot of things really well. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of really great, smart people who are doing those things really well. And it kind of was, don't tell my boss I said this, but it was <laughs> easy. It was easier working, yeah. working for a larger company. And plus we could actually take better care, honestly, not baloney. Honestly, we could take better care of our, of our customers too. Like mm -hmm. offer them more and do it more thoroughly. That's been my experience in moving from a startup, which I was in for 10 years, to, into a, a larger company. How about you? T talk about that experience for you. Yeah, it's very new. It's still fresh for me and I'm still experiencing it uh, every day. I think a lot of what you described, I've also experienced one of the bigger changes for us is you build a world-class team and you effectively go and ask them to kill Superman, right? You're a startup. I, I can't pay you what you deserve, you know, we're not going to have the people that we need, but I still need you to go and achieve the things that we would if we had those things <laughs> so that we can earn the right to survive. Mm -hmm. So that was our story for a long period of time. So we assembled this world-class team that had become accustomed to operating without the resources that they really should have had. 
So now fast forward and they've got those resources mm-hmm. and it's mind blowing for me. It's very fulfilling to see the rhythm, the cadence. I mean, this team is crushing it and they're really doing their life's work because now they have the resources that they really needed. And that's really exciting. The next piece is you're right. I think just in general, what you can provide to your people, whether those are employees or your customers is so different. And, you know, we have way more resources to support our customers now and more assets to round out the picture. So it's not just, you know, one part of the solution that they need. I think, you know, where you have to be careful is that in large businesses where benefits are nicer than a startup and it's a bit more stable, you can get comfortable and that's where it's dangerous. So Mm -hmm. how do you enjoy those benefits, but not become jaded by them and keep the pace of innovation, the level of speed and attentiveness to customers. Um, And I'm really proud of the way we're approaching that, but that's, that's something that keeps me up at night. Are we going to get it's comfortable, right? You do not want to get comfortable. You got to keep pushing it. Exactly. Exactly. You have Mm -hmm. to keep pushing it for the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We work in a company where, uh, and, and we work, me and my coworkers who are still with me work in it, work for a guy who's like a genius. Right. And, um, Mm -hmm. and we all work really hard for him. And, um, yeah. so it's, it's, it's kind of a pleasure. And, and as a result, we've been able to accomplish really amazing things that I, I couldn't even have dreamt. Um, mm-hmm. it's interesting though, because, so we were bought, we were bought by alacrity and we used to sit around at 470 and say, we're this little boutique company and we can put all of our focus on these very specific customers and they're this big company and they're doing better than we are. Right. How do they do that? And Mm -hmm. um, so once you join them and you peek behind the curtain, you know, you, you, you realize that um, uh, there's all kinds of attributes in here that, um, that you couldn't have, have imagined. And a lot of it has to do, frankly, with the people, right? Yeah. And the people that, that you can attract and bring into your org. Um, that's been, and, and the, the reach that you have to, to reach even further out in, into remarkable people. And I would think in your business where you're developing stuff from scratch, that, that the quality of your team is, is critical. Yeah, it it really is. Every angle of this is people. I mean, you look at the leadership that exists at LexisNexis through Bill Madison. And, you know, he's been in the market, I believe, for somewhere around 35 years. And Mm -hmm. he's earned through performance the trust of this market. And at the same time, how do you grow a business like he has from, you know, where it began to where it is now. And it's through in a, a real commitment to innovation 
and asking the hard questions day in and day out of, are we really delivering the best solutions to our customers? Even if the answer to that might be uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, you look at a, a company like Lexus buying a company like Flyreel, And like you said, you're a little bit surprised out of the gate. Well, now that I'm, I'm in and you see the commitment to innovation and really challenging the status quo, it makes mm-hmm. a ton of sense. Nothing's mm-hmm. uh, off the table in terms of where you'll go to support that customer. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a piece where, you know, again, avoiding that level of comfort that breeds complacency. It's, it's about the team. It's also about the leadership. And I think fortunately we've got a team where they're very committed to really being the best in each of their domains, but then there's leadership they're not going to let you get too comfortable anyways. <laughs> so, no, that's good. <laughs> no, there's that. Yeah. 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 Having a boss does, is it a little different? That's great. Right. And I hope my boss hears this cause it's a little different. Um, but, but, uh, of course, look at, you know, I'll speak for myself. I've had an exit. It's great, right? It's great. And there's all kinds of parts of it that are, you know, really wonderful um, on a personal level and for your family and everything else. But how did you approach it? Is that what you were looking for at the time? Did I mean, how did you digest it to get to actually make the decision to let your baby, you know, to sell your baby, if you will? Um, yeah. Share, share some of that for maybe some of the people who are listening on the podcast who are in startups themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing experience with high highs and low lows. And uh, sometimes the time difference between those is minutes, right? right. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. you, uh-huh. You've experienced uh-huh. that. But, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I think um, where we were, there's, there's the business side and then there's the personal side. And from a business perspective, we had a very big vision, right? We were dead set on really driving the market forward with deep conviction about what that looked like in years to come. So we were committed to that vision. So what we weren't going to explore were paths forward that compromised the vision. Or stifled it. Because when you really do find an exciting opportunity that's working, that you believe in, you shouldn't necessarily shut her down unless it's not working, right? Then then you start thinking that way. But we were having some good success. So the point was we saw complementary vision in a way to achieve what we were after faster. It is a very personal decision as well. I mean, at the end of the day, the decision you make, you have to honor your fiduciary obligations, right? And that supersedes personal interests. But there is a personal side of things. And it is your baby. And there's a lot of memories. And Mm -hmm. you start looking at your emails and some of the early ones and what you're Mm -hmm. focused on. And it's like, my goodness, it's there's so much history and relationship bottled up in this thing that what's going to happen to that. So it's a very emotional experience. Um, and it's one that I'm extremely grateful to have the opportunity to, when I look back at this from, you know, the beginning, I still have the list of over 75 
rejections. I was horrible <laughs> at raising capital, Rob. I mean, I was uh, so bad at pitching this thing. And everyone said no. And they should have said no because I was terrible at it. But eventually uh, someone said yes. And they gave me a chance. And I don't know why. I do want to grab dinner with that person and ask, why did you take a chance? But they did. And then that's where it started. And that let us build and focus for a bit. And then, my gosh, Google shows up and invests in this thing. Wow. I mean, that doesn't happen anywhere else. And so in terms of just being grateful, I mean, that is an incredible experience. And that helped us a ton, too. And it just kept going and people give you a chance and more people give you a chance and you got to just go with it. So anyways, I said, amazing. Even now, I'm just like looking back in this conversation, everything that happened and it's mind blowing. I'm still digesting it. But, uh-huh. um, you know, that's, that's roughly the way I evaluate the decision. And, and honestly, I will say from my own experience, you know, six, six months post, is different than a year post is different than two years post. And, um, so, you know, you, you kind of, you grow into it over time. Um, and, uh, like, you know, there were things that I, I'm just glad that I, I'm, cause I can be very inflexible, but I'm glad I was very flexible because that flexibility mm-hmm. really helped me as, I started to understand that, oh, this isn't exactly what I've been doing for the last 10 years, but that's okay. That's cool. That's cool. And, um, and, and so that's kind of how I got through it. But, um, uh, but she said something that, that I want to highlight and that's about determination. 75 knows most people would say I'm out. The world is speaking to me. I can't do this. It's not possible. And we all know people who have that story. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, I I took a sales training years and years and years ago. And the guy said to me, he said, you have to set a number of no's you're going to get every day. Because if you Mm -hmm. keep at that, the yes will come. And and he was right. You know, if you set 20 no's a day, you're going to get a yes in there somewhere. It might be out of 20. It might be out of 60. It might be out of 200, but you're go- It's going to happen if you're, if your determination is there. And so that's right. kind of what you did, right? You were just determined to make yeah. the damn thing happen. <laughs> I, I think you, you called it out earlier. Uh, hey, you're maybe a bit of a slow learner, Cole. And I think you're exactly right. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think honestly, um, it's interesting. When I look back at it, there were some really dark periods of starting that business and trying to get it off the ground. I mean, more notably, when I realized, man, it's not going to work. Mm. Um, you know, going out and pitching the investors, it's interesting. I, I think that the thesis was good. My messaging and the delivery was not. And so through that, and and I was learning through firsthand experience. I think now there are accelerators and you've got Y Combinator and these other great programs that will teach you the things that 
I was learning, you know, what's a convertible note? How do you raise right. capital? What should right. my pitch deck say? And I learned that by failing over and over and over again. Uh, so I took the long route. But then you see the thesis and you develop conviction and you just keep going. And when you get that no in your head, you're thinking, oh, they just don't get it. This person doesn't get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you're just uh, naive enough to just keep going. But where the, the challenge was, I think, for me was, you know, it's, it's one thing to invest your own dollars. But then when someone believes in you enough to put their money behind you, at least for me, that raised the stakes. And cool. You know, when you don't have money <laughs> and someone writes a check for twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars, that is so much money. And the thought of losing that was just it was terrifying. And so when we got to the point where I saw the first concept wasn't gonna work, you know, I was unwilling. I basically made a commitment. I said, well, maybe the business will fail and I'll go and get a job and I'm just going to gradually pay all these people back. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I started talking to some of the investors about that. I said, look, it's not going to work. I've got to change the, the business to make this viable and I'll make sure you're going to get your money back. And one investor in particular said, this is the second best call I could ever get. The first best call would be, we're killing it. But the next best is, we're not. And I'm going to change. I'm going to make a change. And um, that conversation gave me a confidence to go and do the next iteration and to keep pushing. Because I realized what was driving the people behind me, their interests, and uh, their support of me went beyond the business. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting experience. It's also an interesting life lesson. Those were some of the bigger challenges for sure. Mm -hmm. that, that's an awesome story. I, I love the story of <clears throat> the uh, second best call. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's great. But, but you're right. I mean, you have a lot of responsibility to a lot of people. And, um, and sometimes I think when you're deep into it, you don't, you, you don't even kind of realize it. I mean, you just live with mm -hmm. it every day. It's just, it's just your reality right. and, and, and right. you go about your business and it's also, but it's also really nice too to get the phone call that says, Hey, we want to buy your business. Um, cause that's a pretty yeah. big validation right there. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, you know, it's a blessing. That's what it yeah. is. And I, I think that that's what everyone really dreams of. And I think not to get cheesy, but, you know, the dream's alive. I mean, to be able to start something, have, you know, people come behind you and fund it, then one of the largest businesses in the world also finds you. And funds it, I mean, that doesn't happen anywhere else. And so that's another area of gratitude. I mean, just just the experience end to end, it's a blessing. 
Um, but it should also hopefully be encouraging to people that are out there starting businesses that it's within reach. Um, mm-hmm. well, I can do it. Someone else can do it for sure. So. If a slow learner can do it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I think with that, I think we'll leave it on the slow learner point. Right. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to have the opportunity to, uh, to catch up on this and to talk all about it. I mean, obviously work for a great company now and, and, and it's cool to see the great things that you're doing. We've seen you out, um, in the market at some events. It's great to see you. And, um, I think you guys are in a great position and, and, uh, and, and wish you all the best. Well, I appreciate it and always enjoy spending time with you. And uh, so thank you so much. Sure. And uh, until next time, remember five. Don't think you're, there's no shortcuts to the smoking jacket. <laughs> it takes five. <laughs> okay. So we'll look forward to next time. Thanks, Cole. Thank you. Well, thank you, Cole Winans. He's uh, <laughs> Cole is a great guy and it's wonderful for me to see a young man who has come from the very beginning, just him and a couple friends, all the way up to uh, being an important cog in the wheel at LexisNexis. We are very grateful to him and to Nicole for helping us to get this out and to tell you guys the story of Flyreel and what's going on with it today. Next time, Mr. Boyd will be back. He's at the NFIP conference today doing his uh, real job and leaving all the fun to me. So we thank you for being with us. And until next time, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>